show who in season one I stopped watching about halfway through because I thought it was taking too long. I've really come to not be able to imagine my life without it. It's so good. Season one and season two blend so seamlessly together that it seems like to me, maybe because I also watched the second half of season one right before season two started, but I feel like it's just one giant season. A story that doesn't seem to end, and again, I hope never will end. So you can imagine how devastated I was with episode nine that aired today. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'd also like to say that this show has become so thick with story that I, you know, when I was writing my notes out for the spoiler review, I was like, you know, I think this show could handle weekly coverage. Uh, I could do weekly reviews for these episodes. I think it is like almost at Game of Thrones level at this point in terms of being able to do a deep dive, not having to wait to have the entire season to discuss. But you know what stops me? That no one's watching this damn show. So it's, you know, it's a real catch-22. Uh, maybe my doing the weekly recap would help the show, but so few people are watching it that it's just, you know, it just doesn't make any sense from a, from a business perspective. I hope that because it's on HBO Max, more people discover it, but, you know, HBO Max has been slow to get people to sign up for it. It only has 4 million unique subscribers, uh, and that, that number is real low compared to the competition. But anyway, it's such a wonderful show. Oh, if it doesn't get a season three. All right, let's talk about that. So did, did, did this season seem to end a bit abruptly to you? Well, that's because it did. Abigail Shapiro, who plays Dorothy, recently revealed in an interview that they were supposed to have 10 episodes in season two. But, you know, coronavirus. So they decided to release what they had. But boy, are they short one episode. I mean, it becomes immediately apparent when you see episode nine because it ends on several ridiculous cliffhangers. So far, Doom Patrol has not been renewed for a third season. You would think they would do that today so that when people watch this episode, the last episode, they wouldn't freak out. As I'm sure you did, I did. I even stopped it while I was watching it and was like to see how much time there was left. And I was like, there's only like five minutes left here. They're not going to wrap any of this stuff up. What the heck? And then I was like, then I had to check my press uh, emails and be like, this is the final episode, right? And then I was like, it was. And thankfully I found that interview with Abigail Shapiro because I was like, this is ridiculous. So even if they don't get a season three, I hope they let them film that final episode, episode 10, or because they're, if they don't get renewed, maybe something a little longer, like, you know, like a Doom Patrol special movie, like what they did with Sense8. Sense8, you know, actually come to think of it, I bet I didn't watch Sense8 from, from what you guys have told me about it and what I've heard. I think these shows are kind of similar. Um, and Sense8 didn't have enough of an audience to keep it going. Oh, I hope Doom Patrol's doing well, or at least doing well for HBO Max. Uh, but, you know, on that note, what does it take to do well for a streaming service? Does it get new people to subscribe? Uh, HBO Max is doing particularly well with content for the ladies. That's why its color is purple. Um, they said that when they launched. They were going after the female audience. So I don't know if women are watching Doom Patrol. How many, if you're a woman watching Doom Patrol like myself, sound off down below. It's got wonderful female characters. Damn it, people better watch Doom Patrol. Or at least give me that movie to wrap things up. It's very, and it's also clearly an expensive show, so that might be a bit of a problem for it as well. So what are the cliffhangers? Not only was the Doom Patrol encased in wax, Calder gave his daughter the worst pep talk I've ever seen. You're a loser, Dorothy. You can't do anything. Come back here. And I was like, 
Whoa! It seems like she's gonna do battle with Candlemake whether you like it or not, so you might as well give her a thumbs up before she goes in there. I liked it when she made her her own weapon and everything. I love Dorothy. We're gonna talk about all the main characters individually. Then also, who the heck is walking around Jane, I mean Kay's, mind? Who is Miranda? Clearly they, clearly they were going to tell us in episode 10. I was like, how do you not tell me who Miranda is? I have no idea who Miranda could even be, by the way. It's, it, I, I'm guessing maybe it's, like the, maybe it's like some version of her father still harassing her. I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, it's nuts. I, I really want to know, though. Uh, and also, is there a greater conspiracy theory with Ronnie's situation, right? I mean, I know she did murder. Uh, poor cyborg. He sure can't pick him. Um, I like them a lot together. We'll talk about them, too. Uh, but are there super soldiers running around somewhere doing good or maybe not so good? I don't think Ronnie was doing the good fight, quite frankly. Uh I'd be really interested. To, I'm sure that's supposed to go somewhere. Ronnie's not going to run off into the night. We never see her again. She's too darn good a character. I liked the, by the way, the VFX, uh, like the practical effects on her scarring, I thought was really uh, well done and very, very interesting, very moving. So episode 10 must have been a real doozy if it was going to even tackle some of these threads. I just can't believe, I can't believe they didn't get to film it. And they were like, wow, they got to at least film episode 10. What do you think? I was just, of course you agree with me because it's so freaking obvious. But overall, season two featured some extraordinary, extraordinary storytelling. Once again, I loved season one. Season two was just more of that, but even better. I don't think the quality of the show improved. Again, it seemed like it was all written once in some ways, but I feel like just the story deepened. So therefore it was richer and a better experience because of that. I mean, the show has done the work and has this wonderful backstory at this point to, to, to build on and, and, and build on it, it does. It's anchored by some of the best character development I've ever seen and character development for multiple characters. They develop so many characters. It's incredible. I thought that, you know, the season one with 15 episodes was, was too, was too long, but now I see that we need those 15 episodes because the cast is so great and it all deserves a lot of attention. And they even added another major cast member this season with Dorothy, who quickly became, in fact, my favorite character on the show, thanks to a masterful performance by Abigail Shapiro. Abigail Shapiro is a... Um, a special needs performer to some degree. Uh, you know, I don't want to undercut her at all, uh, but I think it just goes to show that everyone should have an opportunity to show what they have, and that really great skill in all areas, in this case acting, can come from any place, and you should always be open to it. I think that she should get, I think I'm glad that she's doing some, some press, and I hope that she continues to do so. I hope she gets more work off of this. She's clearly a very, very talented actress. My only problem with season two is that it became quite graphic sexually at multiple points, which I felt was not only unnecessary. Look, I like a good time as much as the next person, but I felt like sometimes here it went a bit too far, like Game of Thrones too far, and that limits the audience of a show that, quite frankly, doesn't have a very big audience to begin with. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, some of the times it was funny, but sometimes I felt it just was, again, not necessary. The graphic flashbacks with Rita's mother, I didn't need to actually see the sex act. I'm not saying you can't have these story points, but I don't need to see your mom's pearls swaying back and forth over this guy's sweaty face. I'm scarred for life too, quite frankly. Uh, I didn't like the sex ghosts. I mean, again, it was funny, but I mean, like, 
it was really graphic. It didn't need to be that graphic, to be honest with you. That's the, I guess that's what I, how I felt about it. And I really didn't like Miranda's orgy. I would have taken that out of the show. I didn't think there was any purpose to it. Well, discuss it. Don't worry. Uh, did I put... Yes, I did. I have it in there. I was like, I have so many notes. But yes, it's in there. But you know what? When I saw the orgy scene, it reminded me of that sketch that came out when Game of Thrones was like in its beginning stages and was particularly inappropriate. And remember, it was like, it's not porn, it's HBO. Like if you told anyone that's what you were doing in a scene, they'd be like, you're doing porn? And you're like, no, it's HBO. And they're supposed to be happy for you. I mean, I felt very bad for the poor actors in that scene. And I hope they don't think that it's going to help their acting career. Let me tell you something. Being an extra, or in this case, a sextra, never helps your career as an actor. Now, if you just like being on set, if you like doing this stuff, and you do get paid, well then by all means, have a great time. But if you think it's a stepping stone to becoming an actor, you are incorrect. And I think they kind of make you feel that way because otherwise maybe less people would be extras. But the thing is, is that if you're an extra, it actually hurts you being an an actor because you're branded as an extra and they're just not considered the same caliber. They make you stay separate from the rest of the set behind the scenes. They sometimes they hold you in pens. You have to eat last after everybody else. It's, It's not great. Okay. So, and I think that I worry about extras being exploited, particularly in situations like the orgy. I'm like, I really, I don't know. I have a problem with it. I also didn't love that it's getting her period, which makes Dorothy an adult. Usually it's like when you turn 16 or 18, that's how it's supposed to be done. Now here, so so you might be like, but why Grace? Biologically, she's an adult. Is she? Clearly, Dorothy still does not look like an adult. And in fact, um, most most, you know, she's an extra, like a special magical being. But in real life, Women get their periods, uh, girls get their periods. That's important to say. Girls get their periods anywhere between the ages of 10 to 15. And at none of those ages is it appropriate for for said girl to be doing adult things. That's why we have marriage laws and stuff like that. You know, I think it's a bit pedo-y to put the argument that once a woman has her period, once a girl has her period, she's instantly a woman. I, I think it's real problematic. However, I will say that those scenes were handled very respectfully, and I thought it was wonderful how nice that woman was at the gas station to help Dorothy out like that. I would like to think all people would be that nice, but they're not, so I liked seeing it. I was like, there's one. Yay! Make a wish. All right. I'd also like to say how impressive this show is when it comes to making the absurd believable and accessible. Danny the Street and the Denizens continue to be very moving, and I was so happy to see Morally Corrupt return. Their party was great, and I liked Dorothy wanting to stay up late and see the party. That stuff was really handled so well. I also really liked seeing Danny through the ages when different locations in England, you know, old England, the 70s. I really like to see more of that. It's funny to think about how a street can look different during the time period, and I'm like, I love that. That was a brilliant use of, uh, of that character. I thought it was great at the beginning when they were shrunken down and living in Cliff's race car model. Dr. Jonathan Time's roller disco. Niles' astronauts and what, so, what happened to them. That was like crazy. I love those guys uh, running after each other. They kept hitting each other's butts. That was hilarious. See, that's the level. Of, you know, that was great. Uh, well, don't worry. We'll talk about Black Widow astronaut when we talk about Larry. But she was basically Black Widow astronaut. And Dorothy then taking another spaceship and running away to space. That was delightful. And of course, Cyborg and Cliff's fantasy cop show. That was brilliant. I'm glad so, I'm glad that was put up on social media and more people could see it than who watched the show. I don't think it inspired anyone to watch the show, though. Darn it. 
I didn't like the Avengers, uh, the you know the British TV show. I didn't think that one was done as well. I was like, ah, oh, you kind of ruined it because you're not all home runs. And the scants. I can't believe that the scants worked. That's that's amazing to me. I think it's because everything is very well imagined and thought out. It's done organically. And here's the really key element. Nothing overstays its welcome. The scants were one episode. So you go, this is crazy. And then we're and then we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. We keep moving. And I think that's very important to the show's success as well. And you're excited because you don't know what's around the corner next, but you know it's going to be really interesting and probably a genuine surprise. And it always is. The only three things that didn't work for me. I didn't like Red Jack. I appreciate that he looks so comics accurate, but his time was too short to really develop him. He was just a weirdo. Uh, but the butterfly stuff was cool. The butterfly imagery, imagery was really cool. I liked his lair. I just didn't like him. Uh, I didn't like the fair at the end because I've spent way too much time at fairs lately in entertainment. We need, we need a new setting. Uh, and everyone being confronted that fair by their imaginary friends that they had as children. I just didn't think that that was set up well enough for it to really work. I mean, it gave us some funny moments. In particular, Cliff fighting Jesus from, from that one summer he spent at Bible camp. And then they made up. That was great. But, oh yeah, and I also like seeing Vic talk to his dad. I always like seeing Vic and his dad. Uh, even if his dad there was a cowboy and kind of an evil version of him. But I thought that was great. That, I think those two actors have done a great job building that bond, and I really feel it at this point. But I did. I thought that, especially because time was so, so scant at that point, I felt like the time in the episode 10 could have been used better than those little moments with their imaginary friends. All right, so let's talk characters. Dorothy, Abigail Shapiro. I was very sad and quite frankly surprised to hear that people were saying mean things about the way Dorothy looks. I felt she wasn't at all ugly or difficult to look at whatsoever. To me, she looked very much like a who. And as I told you in my non-spoiler review for the first three episodes, Abigail Shapiro has actually played a who. Uh, so I thought, I thought it was great. Also, Shapiro's voice. Oh, what an acting tool. She should consider doing some voiceover work as well. She reminded me, in fact, of the famous Disney voice actress, Catherine Beaumont, who voiced not only Wendy, but Alice as well. And Dorothy not only sounds cool, Shapiro's not even British, by the way. Her British accent is so good. But she also does such a good job with inflection. She's downright hypnotic to listen to. I could listen to her forever. She's great. I also thought it was very clever to give Dorothy a friend her own age, Jane's baby doll persona, uh, as both, uh, well, I guess it's technically Kay, but both of them have multiple personalities. Now, one of the underground, that fire creature, is the one who killed Dorothy's friend first. And Dorothy, she meant her wish. The look on her face when she made that wish, that was great acting and showed a really complex character. I loved it. It really was an eye for an eye, to be honest with you, although the only problem was that Candlemaker ended up taking two eyes. That guy. Boy, all the VFX on the, on the, on the, her imaginary, Dorothy's imaginary friends were good, but Candlemaker was something, spe- something special. And I do believe, by the way, that he's wearing high heels, which is so this show. I love it. He can run in those heels, too. He's an impressive guy. The next up, Jane, Diane Guerrero. Uh, she's fantastic. Huge season for Jane. I didn't love Jane in season uh, one, although I, the second half of season one I liked her, but I really think she's really amazing this season. And Guerrero is so good at portraying the different personalities. She's helped by fantastic makeup and wardrobe, but she sells it. I was particularly impressed at Danny's like sex party when she came down the stairs uh, in that killer negligee and high, spike high heels. She so was a different person, and J- Diane Guerrero sold it. It was really, really impressive. 
I'm like, who else is down there? This is fun. It's like playing dress up in some ways. I, and I like that. I think that's one of the things that makes it appealing. I liked that Kay left her room towards the end of the season. So, I mean, is she getting better? I don't know. I hope Miranda or whoever that is doesn't kill her. Uh, the dead bodies discovered in the well that you don't come back. So who jumped out of that thing, you know, as Miranda? Uh, and I've come to find this underground storyline quite interesting. At first, I was like, how long are we going to spend down here? But now I'm like, oh, let's go back down there. What's going on down there? But I didn't like the well itself. I was surprised that Kay didn't climb out of that thing a long time ago. As soon as she was old enough, I'd be like, I'm getting out of here. See ya. And I also don't understand how Miranda, when she was taking over Kay's body, when she was the primary, how she hid that stuffed animal. How'd she find it? How'd she dig out a, 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 a stone from the wall and then put it back so the water didn't seep in? I'm like, this makes no sense. And I didn't like the Miranda backstory again with the orgy. I just felt it was an excuse to have that. Although I did, I, I do understand that it was supposed to show that Jane could be primary too. Although I don't think, you know, Miranda messed up once. She did a great job in that flashback to like the church, you know, like Miranda did a good job at some times. She just had her heart broken. I mean, anyone can have that happen to them. I thought the underground was a bit harsh on Miranda, to be honest with you. I'd be like, you can't be the primary for a while while we break up with this guy, but then you can come back. Uh, although I do like being reminded how old Jane is, seeing her like it seemed like the 60s, right? The 60s or 70s with, uh, you know, working as a waitress. Uh, I think that was, I thought that was great. I like seeing her in different eras. Then Rita Farr, of course, played by April Bowlby. I love April Bowlby. I loved April Bowlby before the show. She's great. Having Rita join a local theater company is, was a fantastic idea. And having another actress play her and wanting to depict her as a monster, I thought that stuff was really fun. Uh, but and I, and I like the idea of that Rita is a beautiful woman and that she feels when she turns into that fl the, her fleshy state that it's like her ugliness coming in from the inside out. I think that's really interesting. But I think that this show has not had, this, had the bravery to make Rita do anything really horrible that we've actually seen. I've seen Rita make confessions of things that happened a long time ago, but I've never seen Rita do anything bad since. Like, not anything. I think the worst thing she's guilty of is being a coward. And that's it. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But I think that if they really want to sell this story element... I need to see her being really horrible. I mean, she was guilty of like kind of being a diva, maybe making some bad choices. And of course, what she did with that baby and that woman was horrible, but it seems like a lifetime ago. And she seems like she's genuinely changed. So it's hard for me to really feel like this has as much strength as it should. I did appreciate her conversation with the beekeeper about mothers and daughters and how, while not everyone's a perfect mom or even parent, there was a lot of parent discussion this season with Niles and Cliff, but that doesn't mean they don't love their child and they're not trying, which I think was evident in every one of those scenarios with, you know, Niles and Cliff as well. And again, Rita is at worst, so I think right now, a coward. And while I like re watching Rita want to be a superhero in training, the beekeeper outfit is just embarrassing. I wish someone would tell her that. And I think Rita has to move past this in season three. I mean, it's been fun, but she can't do this anymore. We have to move on. And on that note, Larry Trainer, played by Matt Bomer. I love Matt Bomer. He's great. I have to say, this show has uh, two actors, Matt Bomer and Brendan Fraser, who were just really doing the voice work and flashback episodes, but the seamless you know, present, the seamless com com combining of the physical actor on set and the voice work offset is really impressive. I believe that Matt Bomer and Brendan Fraser are actually both in there, but they're not. But I believe they are. Uh, so Matt Bomer and Larry Trainer. I loved exploring his romance last season. I thought that was incredibly moving. And this season, we moved to another relationship in his life, that with his family, who he also abandoned. I think 
I think it would have been better if both of his sons had been still alive so that you could have explored maybe one liked him and one didn't instead of just one really hating him. I think that would have been a little bit more interesting because the family stuff is done now. And I think it also would have been better if his son had been a little bit better developed because he just became like a mustache twirling villain, right? Like real quickly. And also they cast an actor who to me looked nothing like Matt Bomer. So I didn't really feel like it was the son, to be honest with you. Still, I thought those were some interesting developments. And I think I was surprised that his son turned on him. I did not see that coming. And I do like Larry's friendship with Rita. They are a very good fit and they're from relatively close eras. So that's another reason they could get along so well. And again, I liked his conversation with the Black Widow astronaut. I thought that was very interesting. And I'd like to see more of what she can do as someone who's, who's done a good job handling that situation. Uh, and I'd also like to see Larry take, I don't know why he didn't do, work harder to take advantage of what she'd learned. Uh, I was like, start saying we, Larry, start saying we. I mean, he too needs to move on in season three. I've had enough of this. And oh, by the way, I still also don't get the benefit of his powers. I mean, that negative man's able to do a lot of cool stuff, but like, what, what, is this, what does this do for Larry? He just sits like it's like a dead pile on the side. He, he literally gets benched whenever a negative man gets called into action. I also don't understand why Negative Man wants to stick around. I, I hope Negative Man soon begins to actually talk because I'm getting, fr- I can understand Larry's frustration. Then Cliff, played of course by Brendan Fraser. So good. For a character with hardly any power or movement, he is such a joy on the show. Constant great, constant great one-liners. And you know, deep down, he's, at least now, he's really a nice guy. And I think that really helps him as well. Uh, it makes him interesting as a character and makes you really drawn to him. I love the whole thing of him going to space, then getting hurled back through space outside of the spaceship and landing through that sign and trying to walk back and getting stuck. And then that guy saying, you can use my phone if I can take a selfie with you. That stuff was great. Uh, And also, I liked him giving advice to Vic about how to handle Ronnie, you know, advice from a guy who's always messed up in his life. And I thought that was was interesting that Cliff is like, owns it. He's like, yeah, I always mess up, but I got to tell you, I'm real charming. Let me tell you how to get back. And I was like, darn it, why does that always work? (laughs) Right? Women are like, why, you know, whoever's on the receiving end of that is like, why does it always work? I also like the development of his daughter with his daughter. Uh, I don't understand though why he couldn't give her a better explanation as to why he was missing her wedding. I'd be like, he, he should have said like the world's gonna end if I don't do this. So I think she'd understand if he just said that. I'm a big fan of communication. I think it's really important in life, and so I get frustrated when people just don't do it. Uh, and Cyborg, Jovian Wade, he is a great version of Cyborg. I think he's fantastic. He had a lot more to do this season as well, thanks to being able to not only play off of Karen Obalam's Ronnie, who was great, I love them as a couple, very complex couple, but also Rita, Cliff, and Moore. You know, last season he kind of was a reluctant member of the group. He had one, one cyber foot out, out of it, but this time he was fully committed and he was a really good big part of the fun and it was great. And Jovian Wade has very good, uh, very good comedic timing. Uh, even though, so even though Cyborg's not a silly character, he can still have fun and really add to the humor, as evidenced by that great cop show uh, thing they did. That was great. Uh, let's see. Also, he's the most professional experienced of the group, which I think continues to come across. I like the Justice League shout out when they went to Ronnie's apartment and the FBI was there. Sure, the FBI was disrespectful to him, but they recognized him. They knew who he was. It's like what Jack Sparrow says. Ah, but you do know of me. That was great. 
Then Niles Calder, Timothy Dalton. Also, a much better season for him. He is a fascinating character. Sure, he makes a lot of parenting mistakes, but if he didn't, there'd be no show. Also, he is just such a great asset to the writers. He is a very cool character with a rich history, a real, he's a real out-of-the-box thinker, and he has no moral code, and he has a deep Rolodex, so he's often the source of the surprises that we see on this show, and it's, and it's always believable because of what a character they've created with him. I never really knew the Chief as a comic book character, but on this show, I think he's a great creation. So overall, I adored season two of Doom Patrol. It's a fantastic show because I care about these characters thanks to great writing and acting. Uh, the show always keeps me guessing and is able to genuinely surprise me, but even more importantly, move me. I just think it's a fantastic show, really. So what did you think of season two? Where did you watch it? DC Universe, the app is probably going away, but you could watch it on there now, or did you watch it on HBO Max? Did you watch it because it was on HBO Max? Uh, that would be great. It would be great to see the audience growing. And what did you like? What did you not like? And who were your favorite characters this season? Share those thoughts down below. Subscribe today. And of course, as always, you can check out some more videos right now. 